1: expecting at that point i mean you had that had to rattle you out of your cage to come from somebody who is expecting to be a chinese intelligence officer to all of a sudden finding yourself in in Baghdad. uh did you did you sort of know what they were going to be asking you in a in a sense or was that a shock i had no
2: idea that's a great question i had no idea what to expect and unfortunately. I probably expected what you know a non-military person would expect. And that's when, when you get attached to this great task force, they're going to have so many people that are great interrogators, and, and they're really prepared for this. But when I got there, I realized, oh, my goodness, none of these interrogators are getting these prisoners to open up. And the reason is, and this is where... I love about your podcast. I love the idea of decidedly is how do you make good decisions? And I think good decisions, again, I don't want to get too in deep to it just yet, but it's about analyzing a situation. And so when I realized, wait a second, they have interrogators, but those interrogators aren't experienced. Why? Because the Joint Special Operations Command had always had the mission of tracking down the most wanted people in the world. But the way they did that was through hostage rescue and taking out individuals they would do individual missions they didn't go into a battlefield into a war zone set up shop and do extended hunts where what required them to do then is bring in prisoners who were going to be detained for weeks and months at a time and conduct interrogation operations that just was not part of their mission so what i realized when i got there is wait a second the most elite task force in the world has never done interrogation operations why should I expect anybody to know how to make these prisoners talk and to do these interrogations so it when you think about
1: you know we have these images of what an interrogation looks like you know it, you know if we've seen you know Jack Bauer you know coming in and you know kicking the door open there's a there's a guy blindfolded sitting on a chair in a concrete room with a naked bulb hanging above it you know, and he smacks him around a little bit. And, you know, we're going to, you know, the gun to his head. Tell us where the bomb is. I mean, that's my vision of what what an interrogator
2: looks like. How close is that to what it's what's really happening? Mm, it's not very close. Okay. And it's really not very co- close because in reality, if you watch Jack Bauer, and we analyze that, we go, I wouldn't talk and that prisoner wouldn't talk either and they'll never talk using those techniques i'm going to tell you a quick story in 2010 the creators of 24 the jack bauer invited me sent me to los angeles brought me to the whole studio had me watch clips of jack doing his interrogations and said teach us and i said yeah, okay, well, here's A, B, C, and D, and it's quite different, yada, yada. I told them the whole thing, and they said, that's awesome. Yeah, we can't do that. Yeah, that's <laughs> not nearly as fun to watch. It's right? a movie. <laughs> and I right. said, of course. That's why you guys do your movie, and please don't expect to do real interrogations, because that will never work. And right. it's not a time issue. I'll get the prisoners to talk quicker than Jack. It's just it's not that way now. When I got there in 2003, I will tell you, none of the prisoners were talking because as interrogators, we were taught to interrogate using techniques for prisoners off a battlefield, in a uniform, smoking gun, brought into a prison. When we get to 2003 in Iraq, the enemy, they're insurgents they insurgent fighters, they're civilians. During the daytime, they have a job, and at night, they're blowing up our soldiers. And when we bring them in, there is no chain of command, there's no uniform, there's no battlefield, there's no smoking gun. Prisoners were not talking. We weren't finding intelligence. We weren't tracking down high-value targets. That's what the scene was when I arrived in July of 2003. I said, wait, I don't have a plan. I'm not going to create this empathy-based listening new interrogation technique. I've got to figure out what the problem was. And that's the key to success, right? It's when you said, what's the problem? And the problem is this. When you think about capturing a prisoner on a battlefield in a uniform, there's no debate of whether or not you're in the enemy military. You're in a uniform. You got a smoking gun. So when they're sitting in front of you, they don't sit there and go, you got the wrong guy. I'm totally innocent. The debate is, hey, I don't know anything. Yes, I'm in the you know, German military during World War II, but I don't know anything. I'm a nobody. There's the debate. And that's where I realized this is an issue where the techniques the Army taught me were to kill hope. We know everything. Uncle, you got me to, wait a second. I'm not going to ever get rid of that hope of plausible deniability. How do I use that? Because I know hope's powerful. How do I use their hope to my benefit? And that's where the initial creation of the empathy-based listening interrogation technique spawned. Okay, so what, what kind
1: of hope are you holding out that they're going to get out of the prison, or
2: that, uh, is that the kind of hope that you're talking about? I'm not. We're not. We're not talking about. Let's keep. Th- I keep things real simple. Okay. I'm an enlisted guy, and I'm an interrogator. Keep it simple. If you're a prisoner, what's the number one thing you need? I mean, I, I, I want to get out. Yeah, that's, what, that's the number one thing I need. I, wanna, I want out, right? They want freedom. But if we really back that up, if you're a prisoner, let's say you're, you're um, an insurgent fighter and you're there in captured by the United States, and four days later, you're released. Do you see where that might be a problem? Because the insurgent fighters are like, wait, why did they let you go? Maybe you're a spy. Maybe sure. you helped.
3: They see one guy they know who, who is guilty, let go, and
2: they've got all the hope in the world at that point. Well, they have hope, but they also have a problem. If you're a prisoner that got released and we've been capturing bad guys, the enemy's going to think you're the one that's helping. Mm. you see that problem? Ah, uh, okay. So the hope is to be released, but the second, the deeper need is to be released without ramifications against you or your family. That's the need of a prisoner.
1: And, th- and those ramifications would come from their uh, fellow fighters or from the U.S.? From their fellow fighters. Okay, so if I'm if I'm captured, I want to be released, but not too quickly.
3: Well, you want you to be, want released, to be but released, but you want to know that, that you, they're not going to come after you and think that you you're go. the one that ratted. That All is right. it. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So these guys, number one, they're willing to go months and months and months without talking because they hope they get released. Just like, and you mentioned World War II. I'm thinking immediately of Viktor Frankl talking about how the, the Jews that survived the Holocaust were the ones that had hope and had a purpose for getting, for getting out
1: what they were going to do when they got out. Um, Right. Even if that purpose was, was evil. They they had something. So this to, was, they, I'm going right. to kill all these. I'm going to kill these guards. Right. And that they had Those something. Those are the ones that live. Right.
3: So when you found out that the secondary need was protection upon release, was that was that something that you found out immediately, or did it take
2: you a minute to realize that that's what they were looking for? Great question. So. As I quickly first week realized, oh my goodness, these prisoners aren't going to talk. And I said, I don't know what to do to get them to talk. I don't even know what they need yet. Let me just talk to them. As I started talking to them, I started realizing, wait a second. First of all, there's no Darth Vader. There's no Luke Skywalker. These are just people. They really are. I mean, I know, and, and you, there could be people on this on this call who say, wait, those people killed my loved one. I get it. It's a war. It's what happens at war. I'm just telling you. Prisoners are just people. And when they engaged with me and they started to become transparent with me, it was only when I sought to understand their situation. But as as they start to open up, then I realized, wait a second, they want to be released, but their biggest fear is their family that's still out there. So I I started to get them to participate and really gain cooperation. They started giving me information. But what they would say is, but I can't take you to the targets because they'll know it's me. They'll kill my family. I've got these individuals really excited, really helping. How do I energize that hope? And I energize the hope by saying, no, I am going to get you out of here, but I'm going to protect you. And this is how it would go down. I would basically get the prisoner go eric here's everything i know except i'm not giving you targets and i said no i've got to have your boss and that prisoner every time see when you give them hope and you empower them they would say eric how about this so once
3: you started making progress how did that did you immediately realize it was successful uh, I mean, I, obviously you recognize the success and that you were able to to see the results when people were released, but as far as the main mission of finding Saddam, how did that go?
2: So I never thought we were gonna find Saddam. I, we were just gonna do our best, right? I just, what I felt was this was the best strategy To gather accurate information in a timely manner for my commander. So now I will answer this. Now now I want to get to your point because it's a great question. As I started to understand how to get these prisoners to talk quickly, and we're moving quickly, at the beginning of December of 2003, and I'll give you a reference, Saddam will be captured on December 13th, 2003 of this story. On December 1st, we captured the driver. Of the bodyguard who was A, running the insurgency and B, I thought could take us to Saddam. The driver breaks. He, we connected. And he said, Eric, I'm the driver for this bodyguard. His name was Muhammad Ibrahim. He said, I deliver all the orders. I deliver millions of dollars throughout the Sunni Triangle every single week. He goes, I deliver that money and the orders for every attack since this war began. I'm taking all orders from my boss. That's the bodyguard, Mohammed Ibrahim. He said, the bodyguard's taking orders from Saddam. And that's when we knew we are that close. If we can get that bodyguard, he might be able to take us to Saddam. That's the first time we saw, hey, this is, hey, we're fighting a good fight here, but we're getting towards the top. So the first time you
3: really had hope of your own was in December. You realized, oh, we're, we're essentially two degrees away from, two people removed from Saddam. That's correct. Before that, you said that you didn't actually think you were going to find Saddam. <laughs> that sounds that may sound foreign to 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 us. What, what, what do you mean you didn't think you were going to find him? It, it seemed like too big of a task.
2: It seemed like the the techniques weren't going to be successful. So I want to bring back a reference to you made about prisoners in war camps. Have you ever heard about the pilots during Vietnam war camps how they survived which ones survived and they said yeah hope was there but the ones who could not and gave up and ended up dying were the ones that were that would say wait i heard we're leaving now or uh we'll be gone by christmas or there's no way we'll have to be here more than a year so what i always knew was Wait a second. What if you don't find Saddam? What are you going to quit? You think I'm working harder? Because I think I'm one step away. We worked as hard as we could, whether Saddam was going to get captured or whether we were just going after nobodies.